All right, I brought some stuff today. I'm gonna put this on. This is the coziest thing I have ever owned in my life. It's got some fur stuff in there. It's not real fur. If it was, it'd be baby seal, but it's uh, <laughs> some fake fur. The, the hoodie, <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I, 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 don't leave, really. That's, <laughs> I apologize for that. It's late. <laughs> it, this is so cozy. It is so cozy. I, I, I got this at a trip that my wife and I took. It was in November. We do this a couple times a year. We take our trailer, go down to San Diego, just the two of us, leave the kids behind someplace. And, um, and we just go and have a good, say, three days together. The November trip is always around Christmas shopping. And so we have a day set aside for Christmas shopping. And then there's a little bit of time where we do some shopping for ourselves. I am the stereotypical man shopper. She is the stereotypical woman shopper. I went into Nordstrom's rack, not Nordstrom's. Don't uh, make any mistake. I have never, I seriously, have never been inside of a Nordstrom's. Nordstrom's rack is about as elite as we get. I go to the back, look at the clearance shoes, size 12, needed black shoes, picked up these black shoes, didn't try them on, who cares? Got out of there, two minutes max, I'm out the door. Got my stuff, I'm gone. Now my wife shops and tries on half the store and that's her thing, right? That's totally fine. It used to be that I would try to be polite and hang around and kind of hover. She did not like the hovering. I tried to be pleasant face. Hey, what do you want to do now? What do you want to try on now? And she saw right through it. She saw the darkness in my heart. So she's just like, hey, get out. Just wander around San Diego and, and uh, whatever. So that's what I do. Get my thing and then wander around the mall. We were at, uh, I think it was, what's it called? Mission Valley, I think. And um, walk, walking around Mission Valley Mall. And um, it was killing time until she gets the text, I'm done. There is a Bloomingdale's outlet there. I've been into the Bloomingdale's outlet a couple of times, and I go in there for one reason only, to make fun of the prices. Now, this is the outlet. Go into Bloomingdale's outlet, and I look at a polo shirt. Looks like a standard polo shirt. The outlet price is $125. I laugh out loud. <laughs> I judge everybody. And then, you know, it's, it's fun. And I'm killing time. I saw this hanging on a wall, and I thought, that looks cozy. I needed something. I had kind of winter stuff that just wasn't, and I was getting kind of old, and so I needed something, some new winter thing. Saw this, it called to me, but I thought, it's, Nord it's a, Bloomingdale's is gonna be $395. Just guaranteed, $395. That's just the normal number you see at Bloomingdale's. I go to the price tag, $49. Yes. <laughs> Somebody must have brought this from another store. I don't know what happened, but I got it. it. It rung out correctly and I fled because the cops were gonna get me. And I have never taken it off since. I mean, it is so cozy. I wear this during the day. I wear this at night. When I turn 45, I value comfort more than anything else. I have, when I, as soon as I get home, I won't get too detailed, everything gets off and it's the sweats, it's this, and it's my slippers, my Ugg slippers, and, that, and that's how I rock the day. And um, it's just my uniform now. And uh, now Jenny is starting to say, are you wearing that again? <laughs> you wearing that again? Look at her square in the eye and I am wearing it again and I'm gonna keep wearing it. And when I'm dead, you bury me in this. <laughs> and, and she says, well, that could be pretty soon if you keep up with that attitude. But this is super comfortable. Now, over time, something can happen, right? Over time, people start saying, hey, it's getting a little worn. It doesn't look quite right. It's out of season. You know, it's not quite fitting as you gain a few pounds. And, and, and you might want to try something else. Now, when that day happens and it's getting there, 
um, something's going to happen in my soul. One of two things. Either I'm going to start feeling very self-conscious about this. It's, it maybe it's getting old. Maybe it is out of style. Maybe blah, 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 blah. Or I'm going to start getting mad because let's assume this wasn't purchased at Bloomingdale's outlet. Let's assume this was given to me by my mother in eighth grade. So not only is it the coziest thing I've ever owned, but it's also very sentimental to me. And if people start saying, oh, it doesn't quite look right, doesn't fit, out of season, blah, 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 I'm going to be either self-conscious or I'm going to be upset because you're not only going after something that's cozy, but you're going after my mom, right? For the sake of this unexpected thoughtfulness that we're going to talk about today, this is what we believe about God. This is what we believe about God. We were given what we believe about God when we were young by our mom, by our dad, by our Sunday school teachers, by our youth pastors, right? It was given to us. We didn't go out and earn it. We didn't, you know, really develop it through thoughtfulness. It was given to us, and it felt right. That's our paradigm. That's really one of the foundations that we are raised in. It, it goes to our worldview, right? And then when we get a little older, maybe we keep going to church, and as we go to church, we go to churches that are aligned with the comfort of the faith of our past, Right? And we don't necessarily study the Bible as much as we would study, say, the disciplines in our career. We, this is just something we were given when we were young. It feels very, very cozy. It's sentimental. It's warm. It's comfortable. And I go to churches that affirm the comfort that I'm wearing, and that's my faith. And I would really rather not have anybody mess with it. I'm comfortable here. I, I know what I believe about God. It was handed to me when I was young. I know what I believe about salvation and how to be saved and how to read the Bible and how the world began and how the world will end. I mean, I've got to, it's all just here, and I really don't want to mess with it. It's comfortable. Now, at Rancho, we are walking a little bit of an uncomfortable road because at Rancho, we have the desire to be a learning community, right? At Rancho, our goal is to be a learning community, not an indoctrination community. There is a big, big difference between these two. A learning community is an inspirational space uh, for a group to explore ideas around a shared goal. That's a learning community. Now, we know what our shared goal is. At Rancho, we are thousands of friends advancing the cause of Christ, right? We adore the life of Christ, the teaching of Christ, the ministry of Christ. We follow Christ, and we want to advance his cause here and now, right? So that's our shared goal. And we want to create inspiring spaces, inspiring environments, whether it's worship services or small groups, departmental ministries, where we can explore ideas on how to advance the cause of Christ together. It's a learning community. It can be fun. On the other hand, an indoctrination community is different. Indoctrination is teaching a group to accept a set of beliefs uncritically. Somebody has done all the work, somebody is communicating that to a group, and the group receives it and accepts it. That's normal church life. That is normal church life. In fact, there's a cartoon uh, out there that's kind of funny. Here's a pastor, welcome to church, you won't be needing this. Sorry, it's kind of graphic for a Sunday morning. You won't be needing this. And this is the reputation that the church has. The reputation of the church is that we don't really think through things. We don't wrestle through things. We don't tackle the hard stuff willingly. We come with our cozy, kind of predetermined thoughts about God, and we want to hear those thoughts reaffirmed and reaffirmed and reaffirmed, and then we just feel e even more cozy. A learning community is more difficult. In an indoctrination community, there really is one question that is asked. What do we believe? Somebody tell me what we believe. That's an indoctrination community. Will somebody tell me what we believe? Because what we believe is what I'll say I believe. I haven't done the work myself to dive in and digest and dissect 
What do we believe? Somebody tell me, some leader, some pastor, some pulpit, tell me what we believe. If it kind of affirms my cozy upbringing, I'm here, this is home. If it kind of challenges things, I don't know. I don't know. So a couple questions. What do we communicate to other believers if we prioritize indoctrination? You see, the Christian church is a wonderful, beautiful, diverse community. The Christian church has all kinds of beautiful diversity and in theology and in style and in backgrounds and in socioeconomic diversity and ethnic diversity. The church is a beautiful thing, very, very diverse. Yet so often because we tend to enjoy indoctrination, we go to where people agree with the cozy theology that we were raised in, right? And and so we're basically saying, I don't really want to connect with the broader Christian world out there. I'm a little uncomfortable with this church or that church or this theology or that theology and just keep me in my comfortable space. So what we communicate if we are just interested in indoctrination is we communicate that we really don't want to connect with you. We're right because this is what we believe. You're wrong because that is what you believe. We're not interested in discussing or challenging or thinking or growing together. Just my hard drive is is recording and you are downloading. My pastor is downloading. I agree with my pastor, therefore I'm at this church. That's typical. What do we communicate to the world if we prioritize rote indoctrination? If we just say, hey, I'm comfortable with this church, I'm comfortable with this church's theology, and this is where I belong, and I really don't want to engage thoughtfully with the world outside. What do we communicate to the world? Well, we communicate that we're not interested in discovering truth. We're only interested in having our theology of our upbringing reaffirmed. That's more comfortable for us. So we're not interested in discovering truth. We're just interested in nodding our heads to what we've been told. We're not interested in, in, in science. We're not interested in, in the disciplines that we might feel a little uncomfortable in. We're fairly closed-minded, and we want to separate from the world. That's what we communicate when the church is about indoctrination. But listen to what the Bible says about a learning community. I believe the Bible is openly and eagerly inviting us to participate in the wonderful, life-giving, and challenging adventure of participating in a learning community. Now, in order to understand the Bible, we really have to understand the culture of the Hebrews. And the Hebrew culture was absolutely a learning community. And they still are today. The Hebrew culture still has carried that on even thousands of years later. But the Bible was written between 3,800 years ago and 2,000 years ago. And during that entire time, the Hebrew community was a learning community. Now, Jesus was a part of that learning community. In fact, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus does what people have always done in the Hebrew synagogues, and that is to read a portion of Scripture and to start a discussion. So in Luke chapter 4, Jesus pulls out the scroll, reads out of Isaiah, and starts a discussion. He says, you know what I just read? I read a prophecy about the coming Savior of the world. And then he began a discussion. I'm the Savior of the world. And he sits down. So you can imagine how that went. This is his hometown of Nazareth. They've They've seen him in diapers. He was the carpenter, right? Carpenter's kid. Probably a good one, but the carpenter's kid, right? This kid from this little hick town of Nazareth, you're saying is the savior of the world? So they began a very, very spirited discussion. And here's how it ended. Luke chapter 4, 28. All the people in the synagogue were furious. They drove Jesus out of town, took him to the brow of the hill in order to throw him off a cliff. So that learning community didn't end real well. Jesus got out of there, right? He's gone. 
This is the learning community. Now, this wasn't normal, ending in attempted murder, but the, the environment was very common. Somebody reads a passage, somebody starts a discussion, and then the people discuss. This is called theology in community or theology in culture. In fact, the entire Bible was put together in community. The entire Bible, Old Testament, even in the New Testament, put together in community. If you do a little church history, particularly around the season of the exile, I won't get into it at all, but you'll see how the Old Testament was put together in community, in discussion, a learning community, trying to discern God's will, trying to discern what is God's word and compiling it together for us to enjoy today. The New Testament was put together in the same way. A learning community gets together, discerning God's will, discerning what's God's word. So learning community is part of the culture of the Bible. Now you look to the end of Jesus' ministry, Matthew twenty two thirty seven. Jesus is now putting a fine point on the most important priority in the kingdom of heaven. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your what? Mind. It's okay to use your mind. The whole Bible was put together as a learning community. Jesus himself says, love the Lord with all your mind. Now that word that he used in the original language is dianoia. Just think dianoia, right? It's, it, it's this word that is rich with meaning. It means deep thought toward the goal of understanding. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with deep thought toward the goal of understanding. Jesus is saying it's, it's okay to be unexpectedly thoughtful about your relationship with God. You don't just have to kind of take on sort of all the doctrines of, of your mother and your children's pastor and youth pastor. You, you can stretch yourself. You can use this incredible mind that God gave you. Uh, you go to the ministry of the Apostle Paul. At the end of the Apostle Paul's ministry, he is eagerly sharing his faith reasonably to anybody who would hear. And he wanted to go right up the Roman food chain all the way to Caesar himself. He kept appealing to Caesar. I want to go to Rome in chains and appeal my case before Caesar as a Roman citizen. So Paul is sharing his faith and he is brilliant, right? Festus, who's the governor of Jerusalem, Judea, he interrupts the apostle Paul and he says this, you're out of your mind, Paul. Now he and Paul know each other. You're out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you insane. The governor, Festus, knew that Paul was a genius, an absolute genius. He was a, a Roman citizen. He's a, a Hebrew lawyer. He says, Paul, you're so brilliant, but what you're saying is insane. How does Paul respond? I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. What I am saying is what? True and reasonable, because it was not done in a corner. Now, there's a little edge to what Paul is saying here. Paul is implying that all of the Greek pantheon of gods that the Romans worshiped, all of that is just conjecture. It's just made up fables, right? You're just kind of pulling stories out of campfires, right? Oh, there was a God called Zeus and this God married this and this. I mean, you just create all these fables about some God land out there someplace, right? Paul says, Jesus Christ is not a made-up fairy tale. You know Jesus Christ. He taught here. He preached here. He performed miracles here. Under your hand, he was crucified. And then about seven weeks later, a third of the city of Jerusalem comes to faith in Jesus Christ because he rose from the dead, visiting 500 people after he rose from the dead. You see what Paul is saying? This is not a fairy tale land. This is not just made-up gods doing made-up things. The life and ministry of Jesus, including his death and resurrection, was not done in a corner. This faith is reasonable. 
Also in Paul's ministry, Romans 12, 2, he says, don't conform to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to get this, test and approve what God's will is. The Bible's very clear. Let's be a learning community. Use our minds. Test and approve everything. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, it's very clear. Test everything, hold on to the good. The Bible is urging us to use our minds, urging us to live as a learning community, urging us to test everything. Test, in this instance, test what people are teaching. He's basically saying there's a bunch of preachers around. Test them all. Listen, if, if every single person at Rancho would say to their neighbors, I don't believe everything Pastor Scott says, that would make my day. I mean, that would make my day. If there's somebody that says, oh, I'm here at Rancho because I believe what Pastor Scott says, they're like, you're crazy. But if we're here because we're a vibrant learning community growing together, and I, there may be some things I share that spark some, uh, spark, spark, spark some discussion in your mind or spark a good discussion in your small group, and, uh, and it's a learning community that, that you know, just kind of catches fire because of one or two things I say, hey, that's awesome. If there's one or two things I say, you go back to your home group and you go, that, uh, that's an idiot speaking. I'm like, that's fine. I love that idea. Test everything and hold on to the good. Now, when we talk about testing everything and we talk about a learning community, sometimes people get a little nervous. And I hear this a lot. Does Rancho kind of throw out the foundational truths of the faith? Because it's a learning community, does it just throw out everything? What's the answer? No. Not at all. If I said, all right, church, after church today, we're going to meet by the camera in back, and we're going to start a learning community around chemistry, and the first thing we're going to do is throw out the periodic table. I mean, that's insane. We all love the periodic table, don't we? Right? Periodic table is the foundation of chemistry. You seize onto the foundation of, of the discipline and then create a learning community around the foundation. So when we talk about a learning community that is a thoroughly Christian and thoroughly biblical learning community, we are seizing onto the foundation of the faith. And we love the foundation of the faith. And based on the foundation of the faith, we have a learning community. The foundational truths include these things. It includes that there is one creator God. We're not throwing that to the wind. That God is loving and good with good plans for his creation. That's core to what we believe. That the Bible is God's word revealing truth about God and his plans for us. That Jesus is the full expression of God, the fullness of humanity and the fullness of divinity. That only through faith in Christ can we have a relationship with God the Father by his life, death, and resurrection. And the list can go on for a bit. These are some of the foundational truths that we cling on to. This is not open for, hey, anybody have a better idea than this? No, this is the foundation of the Christian faith, right? And then upon that, we have a learning community to discover more of the truth of God, more of the truth of his word, and, and increasingly how we can advance the cause of Christ together. So here's a question. How can or can we be both faithful and thoughtful? What's the answer? Absolutely. Faithfulness is defined as a consistent allegiance. We can be consistently faithful to God and to Christ and his word while also being thoughtful. And thoughtful means careful consideration. We can carefully consider every sermon, carefully consider how we study God's word, carefully consider the truth of God's word, carefully consider our discussion in our small groups, right? We can be faithful to God and his word and to his son, Jesus Christ, and the, the power of the spirit, and we can be faithfully considerate, not just of truth, but of others. So here's a few things to think about as we wrap here. We, we can be thoughtful about truth. 
We can be thoughtful about truth. Truth is defined as that which aligns with reality, right? That which aligns with facts or reality. Now, I'm wandering around the campus this morning, and I saw a, a, a chocolate pecan caramel. It was like a little box in the, in the staff room, and I ate one. I don't know why. I just ate one. It's bad timing to eat chocolate pecan caramel before a series of sermons. I just, just don't do that next time you preach a series of sermons. But it was there and I ate it. I don't even like chocolate, but I ate it. But let's just say, uh, my mom told me that chocolate pecan caramels can make you fly. And I saw one and I thought, ooh, chocolate pecan caramel. Mm -hmm." After the fourth service this morning, I'm gonna go up to that peak by the cross and I'm gonna fly. I would hope if I tried to do that, because my mom told me it's true and because it feels kind of comfortable that that's true. If I go up there after service today, I hope that one of you would say, what's Pastor Scott doing up there? I was gonna fly. I hope somebody would say, you know what? I don't think what you believe aligns with fact or reality. And that you would warn me. Because it is better to live a life aligned with fact or reality than to live a life that believes that chocolate pecan caramels can make you fly. So when it comes to our walk with God, isn't it better to have our beliefs align with truth and not just align with what our mom told us and what was comfortable from our upbringing. And that means we're a learning community that continues to grow. Jesus said in John 18, 37, he's talking with Pontius Pilate about truth. And Jesus says, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The reason I follow Jesus Christ, there's several, but a big one, is because I see the teaching of Jesus and the life of Jesus and his teaching and his life are empirically truth. There's not one thing Jesus says there's like, oh, that's fitty fitty. <laughs> Every single thing he says is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. You live his life, a life of love and service and reaching out to the, to the poor and giving his life, even a sacrifice on a cross to bear the suffering and sin of the world upon himself. It's like, that's so, such power and there, there's such love there. It's like, that is true. I'm with Jesus, even in my times of of doubt, in my times of personal crisis, in my times of of cynicism, and all that can happen in this weirdness. I go back to that foundation. Jesus is truth. Everything he said, everything he did is truth. I'm with him. So we can be very thoughtful about truth. We can also be very thoughtful about Christian doctrine. We can be thoughtful about Christian doctrine. We have a learning community here at Rancho among our staff. In every uh, staff meeting uh, Tuesday, we talk about the sermon series. Every worship planning uh, meeting Wednesday, we talk about the sermon. And on Wednesday, uh, Kyle, (laughs) excuse me. On Wednesday, Kyle Preston said, if we're gonna talk about thoughtfulness about Christian doctrine, look to Acts 15. And I thought, okay, there's there's the Jerusalem council, right? This is where the church that was dividing itself to death, I want to repeat that, the church was dividing itself to death over one issue. They got together in the Jerusalem council and they were thoughtful about their doctrine and how they can survive together and how they can really live together and even thrive together. There were two groups. First group, Acts 15.1. Certain people were teaching the believers. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, You cannot be saved. That's one group really pushing their circumcision. Love me some circumcision. They were coming to the meeting 
And they were saying, hey, listen, God's word says every man must be circumcised. They loved God's law, that Old Testament law. They loved their 10 commandments. They loved their rituals, right? God says it, we gotta do it. Okay, Gentiles, uncircumcised, who's first? So as you can imagine, there was another group. And they used a very important word theologically. Uh, no. <laughs> we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we're saved, just as the Hebrews. In other words, they're saying they're not saved because they're circumcised. In fact, the Bible is very clear about that. Jesus was very clear about that. But they really were obsessed with God's law, that Old Testament commands, Ten Commandments, you know, all the rites and rituals. They were obsessed with that. And believe me, <laughs> There are still people today who are very obsessed with God's old covenant law. You have to obey the law in order to be saved. They still say that today. And so there's, there's this other group that says, no, it's the grace of God. We're all saved by God's grace, not by works, right? So they got together at this Jerusalem council and they prayed, God give us wisdom. They spent days arguing about Christian doctrine and here was their conclusion. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you, Gentiles, uncircumcised, with anything beyond the following. Here's the list we're asking you to comply with. So you can imagine they were very nervous about what they were going to hear. Abstain from food sacrificed to idols. Abstain from the drinking of blood. Abstain from meat of strangled animals. And abstain from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Mic drop out. <laughs> and the church survived and they learned how to actually live together and, and thrive together. Two totally different cultures, Hebrew culture, Gentile culture, and the fighting started to subside. It was awesome. Now, God didn't split the heavens and dictate this. They just said, God, give us guidance, and they came up with a compromise, a doctrinal compromise that says, we believe this is true. We believe this aligns with reality. The Gentiles, we know biblically, had every right to eat ham, Bacon, meat sacrificed to animals, meat that was strangled. I mean, all these Old Testament laws that got very specific. We know biblically that the Gentiles had every freedom to do it because they're saved by grace, not by their works. So you can imagine these two cultures trying to work it out together. They're meeting in a synagogue. These Hebrews, you know, Jesus was a Hebrew. These Hebrews are coming in fiercely obeying God's Old Testament law. And then here comes the Gentiles just kind of cruising in. And they've got this, you know, half-cooked, bloody ham sandwich, an unclean animal that was strangled on the altar of an idol. And the Hebrews just are like, I am so offended, I can't even tell you. Well, I got the freedom to do it. And so there's just a compromise. Let's be thoughtful, not just about doctrine, but let's be thoughtful about each other as well. Let's be thoughtful about each other as well. Finally, thoughtful about science. Thoughtful about science. I have about five minutes left. I could, spend, I could spend the next five years up here talking about this. I love this. We did a whole um, sermon on this last January in our One More Try series. Thoughtful about science. I'm going to give you a couple things to think about. 30% of the younger generations born in the 1980s and later, 30% of the younger generations check the box none when asked about their religious affiliation. The nuns are the fastest growing religious affiliation in America, not the NUNs, the NONEs. The nuns are growing so fast. There is an increasing population, it could be within 10 years, half of America says, I don't belong to any religious affiliation. People are running away from religious affiliation. Why? 
Here's a big reason. A top reason they disengage from faith is their perception that faith and science inevitably conflict. People want to use their brain. They want to think. They want to embrace the sciences. They want to align their lives with reality. So if science is revealing a reality that could benefit the world and benefit lives, people want to align their lives with beneficial truth. Yet so much of the faith community says, nope, I've got my cozy comfy. My mom gave me this little theology. My youth pastor did. I, I, I joined churches that would affirm you know, all the little details of what I believed growing up. And so you know, if there's a bit of science out there that I'm uncomfortable with, I've got my interpretation of the Bible. I, I'm just going to keep this. That's one of the big reasons why people are running away from church like it's on fire. So what do we do about this? Well, there's a couple things to consider. Let's look a little bit at history, a little bit at history. Isaiah 40, says this, God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. Now, I'm gonna be very specific. Now, I did this last year, so for those of you who saw this, I'm gonna repeat it. I only repeat things I think are incredibly important. I only repeat things I think are incredibly important. Important. Every single Bible author believed the world was flat. It's true. Now, that's not true anymore. There's four people in the Flat Earth Society and 12 NBA players. But other than that, we now know the world is a sphere. During the time of the writing of the Bible, there would be absolutely no way anybody who wrote anything could possibly believe the world was a sphere. No possible way to know that. So they believe the world was flat. Every single Bible author believed the world was flat. So you have verses like this, God sits upon the circle of the earth. They were just looking at what they perceived. It was their cosmology, called a point of view cosmology. From where they stood, they look around, sure seems flat to me, and there's no reason for them to believe otherwise. Now they looked up and they saw sometimes light, sometimes dark sky, and all kinds of lights moving like this. So the entire world, thought there was a firmament, a giant bowl upon the circle of the earth and all the lights moved on the firmament. So you'll see throughout the Bible, the circle of the earth and the firmament that sits above the earth. Well, there's never been a firmament and the world is not flat. Does that mean the Bible is a big lie? The answer is no. The Bible's intent is not to correct ancient cosmology. I mean, you can imagine, right? God's saying, okay, where do I begin? Gosh, you know what's really important right now is their cosmology really stinks. No, guys, the earth, I mean, God is not going to be downloading an astronomy book as his priority to deliver his word to all people in all times and all ages. It's not his priority. The Bible is not a correction of ancient cosmology. The Bible is true in describing who God is and our relationship with him. And so sometimes, from the point of view of the author, it's not scientifically correct. Don't hyperventilate about that. You know what time the sun rose this morning? Never. The sun doesn't rise. The earth rotates to reveal the sun, right? So we use common language based on our point of view. From our point of view, it sure feels like the sun's doing that, right? The reality is we're doing wee at 1,025 miles an hour, and there's the sun, and then we go again, right? But it's not important, right? 
When we observe from our point of view, we write from our point of view, that is true from our point of view. It's our true experience. Doesn't mean it's technically precise in every way. The Bible's precision is in revealing who God is in our relationship with him. So let's not worry about little thises or little thats. The same thing was true about geocentricity. You're familiar with that? Uh, the, the Bible or the earth being the center of the universe. This was the understanding. It was the point of view. I'm standing still. The point of view of the Bible authors. I'm standing still. Everything else is moving. Therefore, this earth must be the center of all things and everything else moves around. Well, uh, Galileo and Copernicus were, were persecuted by the Catholic Church because they discovered that, in fact, the earth rotates around the sun. Then later discovered the sun rotates in this incredible galaxy and everything's moving all the time. I mean, that completely blew the mind of the church. For hundreds of years, they persecuted people who discovered truth because it didn't align with their understanding of the Bible. Now, there are four major conversations happening right now that, that the church has a decision to make. Are we going to engage or are we going to be in the sideline wanting our cozy, comfortable theology from our mom? There are four big discussions happening right now. The age of the universe is one of them. My personal take is science has pretty well solved that one-ish, right? But there are people who still are, are, are not quite on board. Quantum mechanics. There are new, powerful, exciting discoveries about quantum mechanics that are radically shifting our perception of reality. This is gonna get a little uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's just not gonna fit in this Bloomingdale's outlet, Buffalo cozy thing. There's a physiology of gender and sexuality that is making a lot of Christians very nervous. You know, we wanna hold on to this biblical vision of, of sexual purity, which I completely understand, but there's a human element, even a physiology about this that can make us a little uncomfortable. Then there's brain science. This is, this is insane what's going on in brain science. It goes to really who we are, what personhood is, and personality, and even what we call soul is all being worked out in this incredible brain science field. What are we going to do as the church? How are we going to engage? Are we allowed to talk about this stuff? Or is it just so uncomfortable? Or are we even going to get mad and just shut it all off? I'm absolutely convinced that unless the church recaptures its wonder of discovery, and by the way, the church used to be the forefront, the leading edge of scientific discovery. I can make a good argument, and I won't today for lack of time because I'm three minutes over. I can make a good argument that the church, in fact, the Reformation birthed the Renaissance, birthed the Enlightenment, birthed science, the scientific method. Our discovery of science, I believe, was in large part part birthed by the church when we realized our mind is an incredible gift and God not only speaks from his word, but he speaks through creation itself. In fact, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. God says, discover me by my word, discover me by the cosmos, everything big and small, go after it. One final thing. This will be fast, I promise. You won't miss the game. In Daniel chapter one, the king of Babylon, who was the king of the world, right? The king of the world said to his servants, I need you to find me the most thoughtful people in my kingdom. He dispatched his servants, quote, to find young people that show aptitude for every kind of learning who are well-informed and quick to understand. Servants go to the end of my kingdom 
Where did the servants go? They went to God's people. They went to God's people because God's people were people of understanding. God's people were people of disciplined learning. God's people were well-informed. So the king of the world sent his servants to find the people who were exceptionally and unexpectedly thoughtful, and they went to God's people. And who did they find? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. And through that relationship, the kingdom of heaven was made realized in Babylon, which eventually led to Israel going back to Jerusalem, which birthed our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who we follow today. If the king of the world today decided to seek out the most thoughtful people on earth, would they say, we gotta go to the churches? No way. Be the last on the list, the last. We could change that. We could change that right here and just how we are and who we are as a learning community. You're not just getting, you know, downloaded from some preacher, you know, who was very excited about what he prepped, who's delivering it with enthusiasm. You could take it or leave it. Hang on to that good, solid, foundational truth of the Christian faith, who God is, his saving work through Jesus Christ, the truth of God's word, but then let's wrestle together as a learning community. And maybe like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we could see real change happen because the light of Christ will shine if we're unexpectedly thoughtful and not closed to the world that God so loves. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for the truth. Thank you that our thoughts of you are not just made up fables that happened millennia ago around campfires passed on from one generation to another. God, we follow Jesus Christ who was born 2,000 years ago and lived a life of truth. Everything he spoke, everything he did was truth. It aligns with reality. And the more we follow him, the more we do what he asked us to do, the more that we exalt him, the more we, we strive to be like him, the better life is, the better our community is, the better this world is. He is truth. We place our faith and trust in him. He is our leader. He is our Lord. He's our forgiver, giving even his life to take on the sins and suffering of the world upon himself to pay for it in full and to rise again to give us new and eternal life and a hope for a better future ahead. God, we follow Jesus. Help us to be a learning community that seeks truth and seeks understanding. Help us to have great influence as people of faith in every discipline in our workplace, in our neighborhood, and thoughtful conversations that are weighty and significant to the life around us. God, would you be honor, honored? Would you be glorified? And may the cause of Christ be advanced because we are unexpectedly thoughtful. In his name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen.